opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to day two of the Mountain State Council of the Blind Convention. Uh, we are totally virtual and we are streaming on ACB Media 8, thanks to our streamer, Tyson. And we want to welcome those who are attending on the stream. We also want to welcome all those attending on the webinar. And thanks to our host, Andrea, who's keeping us in line. Uh, so I'm going to quickly go over the day's uh, events. We will have uh, program sessions from 9 a.m. to 12 noon, all times are Eastern. We will again have presenters from 1 o'clock p.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. Uh, then we will have our Mountain State Council business meeting for members only. Uh, that will not be streamed. And then this evening, we will have uh, an evening program beginning at 6.30 and um, the last part of it will not be streamed on ACB Media. Uh, so anyway, let us proceed with the day. So before we go any further, I'd like for us to just have a, a moment of silence for all those who are in, have been in the path of the hurricane. Uh, we've not heard from some of our ACB friends, but so let's just take a moment to remember those people. Okay, uh, I would like to thank all of our convention sponsors. 50% of the monies we receive from convention sponsors goes into our scholarship and technology grant funds. So our sponsors are very special to us. So I'd like to announce them now. If you are a sponsor and I did not say your name, and you wish to be recognized, please let me know. I did not, I do not mean to forget anybody. So at the racer level, uh, we have Conrad Bennett, who's a Mountain State Council member. At the runner level is Donna Brown and Vanda Pharmaceuticals, who is a corporate sponsor, a great friend, of ACB and all of its affiliates. And then we have an anonymous runner sponsor. At the Walker level, we have Carol McGee, Kathy Gerhardt, Marcia Springston, and Musi Allred. And at the crawler level, uh, hold on, I skipped one. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, at the crawler level, we, we have got uh, Tim Hill and an anonymous. So again, thank you to all those sponsors. Uh, a few other announcements. Um, during our business meeting today, we will be voting. So in a little while, hopefully we're going to try to hear from our nominating committee chair who will just announce the slate of uh candidates who we, we will be voting for. Uh, 
also, I want to remind people that ACB has a program called the Monthly Monetary Support Program. And Mountain State Council reaps benefits from it. Uh, so what it is, a person signs up um, and you can have at least $10. It can be more, but at least $10 either taken out of your account or added to your credit card each month. And 50% of that can come back to an affiliate of your choice. And since this is Mountain State Council of the Blind Convention, we're hoping that you would choose Mountain State Council of the Blind. Uh, so currently, Mountain State Council, I'm not sure how many people we have enrolled, three or four uh so what happens is quarterly, uh, we get a check uh, in our bank account and our check averages, it's around $250. So if you think about that, that's $1,000 a year. That's pretty good. Uh, so if you would like to join that program, uh, you can do that by calling the Minnesota office at area code 612 3323242 and they will help you get signed up. Okay. So we are ready to start with our morning program and our presenter is here and I'm going to ask Carol to introduce our presenter. Our first presenter is Clayton Birch, superintendent of the West Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind. Um, and um, W. Clayton Birch, as I said, is currently the superintendent of the West Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind, and he most recently served as the 32nd state superintendent of schools in West Virginia. He assumed this role in February 2020 and dedicated time and energy to helping the public school system navigate through the pandemic while continuing to support children's developmental, academic, nutritional, and social emotional needs. An avid supporter of opportunities for all children, Superintendent Birch coined the phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, the phrase, one caring adult as a call to ensure at least one adult connection connects children to the supports of the school system. And Mr. Birch, uh, you may take over at any time. Thank you, Carol. Donna, I appreciate you having me. And um, I guess, you know, I'm looking at your agenda and I'm really curious. Um, I, I gotta know who won trivia last night. <laughs> Um, oh, I forgot to announce oh, that. It and wasn't I my team. <laughs> sleep over wondering about this, Donna. Okay, well, well uh, can I announce it yes, real quick? Okay, yes. so we had eight brave participants um, or eight willing participants, or I don't know what you want to call them. But anyway, eight participants. We had a great time. So we divided them into two teams of four. And team two won not by a lot, but they did win pretty much fair and square. And that consisted of 
Tim from Charleston and Sue from, I forget where, somewhere in Ohio, I think. Kathy used to be a West Virginian, lives in Ohio, and Jackie, who is a West Virginian. Um, so anyway, that that's how that was. And, and we had a lot of West Virginia questions. We had a lot of Braille questions. Uh, we had nature that were really hard, sports, and then we had music. Those were the categories. So anyway, that's who that's, won. Well, I'm glad you were able to do it. And I'm glad that you're making the most out of uh, continuing, you know, to do this virtually. I know putting on virtual conferences is tough. And, um, but uh, your, your schedule and, and your day looks filled and amazing. So, so let's get started. Um, Donna, I know you asked me to come on and talk a little bit about what's happening at the School for Deaf and Blind. And I thought maybe the best way to do that is to do it more in story format and a little bit about what's happened over the last month, um, six weeks, and not only my life, but opening up back up the school and where we're headed and um, kind of walk you through my day. And uh, my day, of course, as many of you probably can imagine, um, I don't sit still. If you ever come to visit me, um, the joke on campus is they're not sure I really have an office because I'm everywhere. Um, so, and I like, uh, I like moving around. I like meeting with the folks. I like talking to everybody, including, um, most importantly, the students. So about six or eight weeks ago, you know, it was announced that uh, I stepped down from the state superintendent's position. And, um, I know that sounded, uh, a little crazy to most. And, um, you know, I even appreciate that the governor checked on to me and make sure that, um, are you sure you want to move to Romney? But the folks closest to me knew that for the last two years being up here working with the school, that um, the school is a very, very special place. And we remind the students of that each and every day of how, um, how much opportunity they have here coming to the school. And I thought it was really special when I was able to come up once a month as state superintendent to work on the school. But now for the last six weeks or so, eight weeks being here, um, you really shouldn't compare jobs that you have. And um, I've had a lot of, of jobs throughout my uh, career in education, everything from early childhood to teaching at the college level and doing a lot of things for the state. But um, I find myself in a position now where um, this particular challenge is quite interesting. Um, we have about 800 children in our state that um, are blind, low vision, deaf or hard hearing. And um, only a percentage of them uh, today um, in 2022 attend the School for Deaf and Blind for a lot of reasons. We know that COVID didn't help anybody moving and making transitions. Um, and we know that we've seen decline enrollment at a lot of schools across the nation, the Schools for Deaf and Blind. In fact, um, luckily we, um, have been able to keep a pretty good relationship with the Virginia School for Deaf and Blind and some of the transitions they've gone through. But the school itself is going through some transitions and we are reestablishing ourselves. If you get a chance, um, a young lady by the name of Audrey, she's a sophomore at the School for Deaf and Blind, interviewed me this week for Bare Necessities. It's a weekly newscast that the students put on and it is posted on our Facebook page. So I encourage everybody, if you get a chance, um, they're great. We do, um, uh, the students put it on, they do a braille uh, 
letter of the, of the week. Um, they do a sign of the week. They do the weather. They do upcoming events. But for this week, um, Audrey and the students wanted to interview me. And um, they were around me a lot. And they shot me with some really good questions. And a lot of those questions are what we're going to talk about this morning. And that is future of the school. And even as students, they are very adept. In fact, there's a young man that uh, um, follows politics probably closer than even I did being at the State Department and reads a lot of articles and watched my transition to the department or to these uh, school for deaf and blind and was one of the first to ask me, what are we going to do with the school? What is going to happen to the school? So. We have assured the students that unless something crazy happens, and I, I cannot read tea leaves very well, um, my job at that school is to grow, to provide even more opportunities. And if that means transforming and changing the way we do things, so be it. Um, we want families across the state to know that the school is going to come, become a place where um, we are going to focus on career and college readiness for those students, work for, workplace uh, readiness, and the staff have joined behind me. And um, so let's talk about my day. So usually I pull in, and for those of you who have been on campus, um, we now have a technical assistance center. And I usually start my day there to check in on how the technical assistance center is going. Our technical assistance center launched last year. It houses a variety of resources. So trying to describe to the state that the School for Deaf and Blind, when you hear it in your mind today, is not just the school, just for the children attending physically. We want the state to realize that this school offers resources statewide to hundreds and hundreds of children, hundreds and hundreds of teachers across the state. The Technical Assistance Center is just that. Our instructional resource center is housed there. Our accessible educational materials office is housed there. Assistive technology, our outreach program for birth to three, birth to five, and K-12 now for across the state is housed there. And community partners have begun to move into that building with us. Um, if you lived in the Romney area um, and were a student who, for whatever reason, didn't finish high school, and you wanted to get your GED, you would have had to go up to Hampshire High School, drive behind the high school, a school that you didn't attend or you dropped out of, go to a trailer to take classes for your GED. And we have welcomed them down. They're part of us now. Division of Rehabilitative Services is there, spokes. Um, and we are now expanding into another building with even more community partners. Um, Children's Home Society has joined us. Um, Hands and Voices has joined us. Our audiology has moved over. EA Haas is now on campus to offer a health clinic and services to our students and staff. And the Hampshire County Arts Council is moving in. And that is a collaboration with our students. And it is now becoming a, that south end of, uh, the south end of campus? South end of campus is now becoming a conglomerate of community partners that are all joining together. They all have a common mission um, and it is just offering a lot more services, not only for our students and teachers, but we serve, like I said, hundreds of, of students and teachers across the state. And I want to make sure that when we're talking to our um, legislative representatives and we're talking to folks back in Charleston, 
and they want to talk about the small numbers at the school, or they want to talk about, um, yes, we are investing a lot of dollars, which I'll talk about, but those dollars are not just, again, for these children. This school is a service to the entire state of West Virginia, um, and I think that continues to be an important message, but I usually start my day there and, and check in on them, and then I'm usually up by the time school starts and buses are dropping off, and um, I like to be at the opening of school and um, to see the students, and, and um, I don't know that they've ever seen a superintendent walk through classes or the dorms as much as I do, but uh, I am very hands-on. Um, the school itself is, um, is running on all cylinders. Our teaching staff has, um, we've uh, put in some expectations that I think they're up to the challenge. Um, I've asked them for some things to uh, change. And the things I'm about ready to talk about at the school, many of you, if you attended the school years and years ago, are going to say, Clayton, that's what we used to do. That's what we did. And for whatever reason, we lost our way there for quite some time. Um, our students, we have not seen them in quite some time in the community, in workplace experiences. And um, the campus itself uh, got a little closed off there, especially leading up and then during the pandemic. So. I've asked the teachers to um, really think about what we're doing, what our career technical education programs look like for students, what our college career readiness pathways look like for them. And beginning this year, we started um, with every senior, uh, we changed their schedule and every single senior in the school has a work-based experience. Um, it's at the school this semester, next semester it's in the community. We are hiring, in fact, I'm hoping the board of uh, the state board approves it in October. We are hiring a transition specialist and his job will be to completely be out in the community making connections so that when our children are juniors starting next year, we want these work-based experiences. We want them to be out in the community doing things they think they have a passion for, connecting it back to their education, and many of you know this gentleman. Um, he was, he's been part of the school for over two decades and his name is Mike Coleman. Mike is, um, I know he's retired and I know that uh, he loves the school, but when the opportunity arose, he knows the community also. And we've gotten a lot of positive, positive responses from the Romney community that are welcoming our students out in the community into these work-based experiences. Um, and we're getting a lot of notoriety for that. And matter of fact, in the next couple of weeks, we are beginning to bring groups on campus to really understand what it's like to teach at the School for Deaf and Blind. And one of the frustrations I've had over the last several years, especially the last month or two, is when visitors come from around the state and they wanna compare the School for Deaf and Blind to the public schools in the state of West Virginia, 650 public schools. And the best way I can say this is we have a, a retired superintendent helping one of our um, administrators right now. He is her mentor and he was a, a superintendent close by for years. And he said he heard about it, the school. He kind of thought he had an idea what the school was, um, had heard rumors about numbers. And then he came on campus and they began to do walkthroughs. He began to interact with the children. He began to interact with the staff. And his view has completely changed 180 degrees and went, oh my gosh, Clayton, I'm so sorry. 
there is no way we should ever compare the school for deaf and blind to a regular public school because there is no school in this state that is doing what you do there with an entirely immersive environment of totally, you know, completely blind, completely deaf children, hard of hearing, low vision. And he has become this major advocate now for us, understanding what the school really is. And we want more people to do that. So next Friday, we are actually hosting um, the entire class from Marsh University. We're bringing them up on campus to spend time with us. They're bringing all of their students that are taking DHH or VI courses or are interested in DHH or VI courses. They'll be here. And then the following week, I don't know if any of you um, have heard of Shepherds College in Wisconsin. Shepherds College is a college for um, um, adults with disabilities. 100% the entire college is adults with disabilities. They focus on specific careers. They're a residential program. And when you're in a position kind of like I was in the past um, with the state superintendent, you make a lot of connections across the nation. And one thing led to another. There was a common um, gentleman that I knew, Shepherds College knew. Shepherds College started paying attention to our Facebook page. And they took a lot of interest in a gentleman by the name of Brian Olden. Brian Olden is running our ProStar program. I would put our ProStar program, that's our culinary program, up against any culinary program in the state. And this gentleman does it with deaf and blind students in the classroom. And they are absolutely amazing. He has already sent graduates off to culinary school. And it looks like we potentially will have two to three more graduates going off to culinary school. And that is a big, big statement for that school to see those children going on to post-secondary careers. It caught the eye of Shepherds College. They are coming down and they're actually bringing a delegation from Shepherds College, Wisconsin, down to the School for Deaf and Blind to study our culinary, our building and maintenance program, our computer repair program, and our residential program. And the goal is we form a relationship with them. We can absolutely learn from one another. But uh, for them to reach out and want to visit this little school in Romney, West Virginia, um, is, is quite amazing. And I think that is also one of the challenges I'm giving the teachers in the school is that we do a really good job talking to one another at the school. We do a great job advocating. I've never been to a school that loves its children more. But in today's society, we have to tell our story. And I think that we've got to do a better job really advocating statewide, nationwide, who we are, what we do, what we're capable of. So, and uh, the school itself, um, if I walk around and take you through the rest of my day, the school is going through some transformations. Um, in fact, we have a brand new um, uh, school pride team, and that is made up of teachers. It's made up of service personnel. It's made up of our student body uh, council, and they are getting ready to transform the interior of their school, and we want to renovate it. We want it to be the student's space. We want to make sure it's modernized for them, and I've talked to the students about the precious balance that we face. Um, you know, we're in a school that just celebrated its 152nd birthday, and we have these buildings that are amazing in the historical sense, but um, I've made sure that the students and staff know that um, 
I will respect the history. I will respect the buildings on campus, but I am not here to run a museum. I'm not here to run a historical site. I'm here to run a school and make sure that school is the best it can be for the students of 2022 and beyond. So I think that uh, some of the alumni folks, you know, they get a little nervous about a lot of change fast, but there's going to be a lot of change fast. Um, we are going to see some serious investments of dollars into the school, which is a good thing. We are going to see some changes that we just don't have the budget to keep up um, all the buildings. Um, and I know that is hard, but um, the, uh, the students there deserve it. They deserve the best spaces, the best accommodations. They deserve the best opportunities we can give them. So um, the budget, we want to make sure that when I'm in front of legislators, when I'm in front of um, the regulating that our budget is very, um, we are going to be held accountable to making sure our students are the priority. Um, facilities become a priority. And then we also have dedicated budget now to um, families who yet have not made that decision to send their students to the school for and blind, and they have chose to um, educate their, their children back in their home communities. And um, we think that with our outreach program, um, we should support them. And the more opportunities we have with our staff being around those families, being around those children, um, they may make the change and eventually may say, wait a second, I see opportunity here for my child. My child wants to be around other children in an immersive environment. So uh, there's definitely opportunity for growth and um, we're excited about that. Usually my afternoon, I leave the school and uh, we have an absolutely wonderful maintenance crew. Um, these gentlemen, um, have taken under their wing a few students that are interested in facilities and maintenance, everything from electrical to HVAC to general maintenance, and to watch them with these students and these students having the opportunity to work on campus now and feel like they're a part of beautifying it, um, keeping it updated it has been amazing to watch. Um, we have replaced about 90 yards of sidewalk. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but for a crew of about five or six guys to pour 90 yards of sidewalk in um, about six to eight weeks was amazing. Um, making sure that all of our sidewalks um, are accessible. Um, I know that I've had community members taking pictures on campus. They were all nervous about how many trees I've taken out. Um, but the campus, again, when you get to a certain stage and you're, you're getting older, um, Maybe we just didn't have the forethought where we put trees and trees sometimes um, grow big and begin to um, bubble your sidewalks, crack your sidewalks, um, push into foundations of buildings, um, overhang and poke into roofs. So we've had to uh, selectively remove some trees. But once it was done, now we're seeing people come and walk on campus and go, oh, my gosh, the dead trees are gone. You've opened up the campus. It really looks great. Um, I think it's a lot more accessible, especially for our students who are blind, um, removing any hazards for them. But um, that takes me to talking about a little bit of the investment into facilities. Um, we have about $3 million going into roofing projects uh, for, the, um, for the school. We have a brand new CFO that has started. She actually works for the School for Deaf and Blind, and she's also the CFO for a gentleman named Jacob Green. Jacob runs all of the institutional programs across the state in our juvenile centers. 
So she's connected to the department. She has a lot of resources. She's got a lot of experience and she's been able to really tank our budget and do things that folks in the past haven't really been able to do. And she's very good at finding money. And uh, between her and myself, we have, um, we have found actually quite a bit of money to invest into facilities. And I think that sends a good message to the community and to the alumni that um, if we're gonna invest this much money into facilities, um, we have a future for the school. Um, those of you know that um, um, the administ administration building, of course, was in March and I was here for that um, and through the entire process after the fire, but it has opened up a few opportunities. Um, we find that when people visit the school for deaf and blind, um, sometimes there is not a major front entrance or um, welcoming entrance because you have all these different parking lots. We don't really have an accessible bus loop. It kind of goes around back by the dorms. So um, the demolition is finished. The front area has been um, seeded <clears throat> to green space and beginning in the spring and summer, they will begin to transform that into a brand new front entrance to the school for the public with parking, a brand new bus loop, um, new signage, and of course, um, everybody asks about a memorial um, that for the administration building. And also on Facebook, um, I encourage you if you get a chance, um, we just had a very generous donation from West Virginia Moose Lodges. Um, they came to the foundation yesterday um, and donated $17,000 uh, to go toward the memorial. And that along with the insurance money, um, we believe that we can do a very nice memorial and we will be looking for stakeholders to join us um, when the company begins to design and um, put that together. <coughs> but uh, the other major uh, changes that are happening besides brand new exterior doors, I know that doesn't sound, um, brand new exterior doors doesn't sound sexy, but updating all of our doors, having um, new lighting around campus, new sprinkler systems in all the buildings, um, that is courtesy of the school building authority. Um, after the fire, they stepped up and they have given us enough money to update sprinklers, um, lighting, exterior doors, and um, about $50,000 in cameras around campus so that our security guards can now monitor folks coming in out and have a little better um, sight on campus. So that's actually really exciting. Um, and I know most of you know the Blue and Gold Building. Um, now that the administration building has burned, of course, the Blue and Gold Building did pass inspection and we can invest state dollars into that building. So we are actually renovating the Blue and Gold Building. Um, the first bid of selecting an architect has been finished and that building will serve two purposes. Um, half of the building will be dedicated to students. Um, Keller Hall, uh, where the students are um, in the dorms. Um, it has some nice spaces for activity rooms, but just not a large space like they used to have. So half of blue and gold will become an activity room just for the students. Um, think of it kind of like a student center. The other half of the building will become um, conference rooms and a cafe. Brian Oden and his students in ProStart will be running a cafe out of the blue and gold building for the public. So on that side of campus, all of these um, 
community partners and people coming to the school now for those services, even if they're not specifically coming to the school, we have a lot of people coming on campus now for adult education, folks, Children's Home Society, audiology, um, all of these services being in one place and for them to have that experience with our students that are running a cafe for them um, will be absolutely amazing. Um, so a lot is happening. Um, again, I want to say I can't thank our maintenance crew enough. Um, all new lightings and it, it's amazing. And um, I think the staff have appreciated seeing things in the last six or eight weeks moving faster than they've ever seen and getting things done. I like to see um, a lot of activity on campus. Um, so that has been great. And then um, then I usually finish my day and I'm, I'm waiting for them to start kicking me off campus when it gets dark uh, because I find myself usually down in the dorms at the end of the evening. And, um, you know, if I can get a pickup ball game or join one of their activities, I have come to uh, very much enjoy. Uh, my kids are all grown and uh, they're all old now. So the idea that I can go down there and play football or um, do clubs uh, or extracurricular with the kids has been um, actually great for me, but uh, they've enjoyed it. And uh, we have 14 clubs running now in the evenings that the students can uh, select from. Our extracurricular is up and running, even though we have small numbers. Um, our swim team is, is practicing. We have signups for basketball. Um, and we are launching, um, thanks to um, a gentleman by the name of Tim Elliott at the uh, State Department of Education, um, we will be launching our own uh, esports um, team. And uh, I am not that familiar with esports because I am not a video game player, but the children knew all about it. And um, we will have an esports team that will compete statewide, uh, middle school and high school. And the cool thing that they're doing this year for esports is that after the season is over, our school will enter a competition specifically with schools of deaf and blind around the nation for a deaf and blind only esports competition. And they are very, very excited about that. <coughs> so, um, Donna, I mean, there is so much happening here. And um, I don't know how deep you wanted me to go. And you know me, I will keep talking because, um, like I said, I hate to compare jobs. And I don't want people to think I'm completely insane. But um, this might be, a. I know we're being recorded, but this might be a better job than the state superintendent. Um, but, uh, and it's just because of really the kids. And um, so, oh, one more, Donna. Um, the West Virginia School for Deaf and Blind Foundation um, has kind of been on hiatus for a little bit. It is up and running. We have new officers. They've had two or three meetings. Um, they were gonna hold their annual meeting um, on November 4th. And they are gonna be, uh, it'll be a full day because they'll be meeting with um, their annual meeting. They're going to invite the public, and then they, as the foundation, are going to be meeting with the staff on Friday afternoon on November 4th, and really um, being there and letting folks know that um, we can't accept donations through the foundation, even though the school can't, the foundation can, and they are already accepting grant applications from across the school for students and staff uh, for, the, for the children. And then um, next Friday, 
um, the school will be, of course, even though the 15th is White Cane Day, we are going to celebrate on the 14th with the students. And the Hampshire County Review has been very kind to me since I've been there. The media in, in Romney is a lot kinder than the media in, in Charleston. Um, but Hampshire County Review has agreed that on Wednesday, um, they will run an article on White Cane Day to really educate the public, especially in the Romney, Hampshire County area. Hopefully it gets picked up by others um, about what White Cane Day is and be joining us on um, um, next Friday with that. Wow. I know. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's great. Um, so actually, I, I just want to make a couple of comments. And I am so, so happy about the, the job experiences that the kids are getting. Because I that was if you hadn't mentioned it, I, I was going to say that because I've been subbing some. And, and so I've learned, you know, what some of them are doing. And oh. I, it, it, that was a long time in coming. Thank you. It, it really is. And I, I'll tell you, the ones that I'm excited about, Donna, is uh, I want to brag on the kids a little bit. Um, and, and if you don't brag on them, who else will? Because we have a young man that is studying computer repair. And, and he's good. <laughs> yeah, he is very good. He makes me laugh every day. And he's the he's just, I love being around him. He actually, um, in our CTE programs across the state, they take exams called NOCTI. NOCTI are completely industry-based exams for whatever field you're studying. And again, these are students from across the state. This young man on his exam for computer repair scored number eight in the state wow. for computer repair. And he is completely blind. And it's amazing to watch him break a computer down, put it back together, diagnose it. And we actually, even though he's graduating this year, it will be up to him. But we got him an opportunity to intern in Charleston for the state's second launch program. That is the state's computer program. They take surplus from all over the state, millions of dollars of, of hardware, refurbish it, and it is donated back out to schools across the state. And he has been invited to intern there next year. Wow. Um, and so, those yeah. are just amazing opportunities. I am proud to say he is a member of the Mountain State Council of the Blind, too. Not even so, surprised. Just not even I, surprised. Yeah. So um, also, I, I, I am so excited about how the students are being taught and encouraged to use their technology. I mean, that's the way of the world. And I, I kind of started sort of the technology kind of yep, stuff yep. At, at the school, and I'm so glad it's it's really picked up again now. Well, and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, that's the other thing that um, it's when, when you look at those budgets and people make decisions and you have to prioritize, I understand you have limited dollars, but again, um, the leadership team at the, at the school understands that I might have made a few changes, but priority is students. Priority is what do our teachers there need, and um, that is another reason I wanted the foundation to come over and meet the staff at the school because we want that relationship. We want our staff there to really feel like they have a voice. Um, they know these students better than anybody. They're with them all day long. And, you know, for what these students need, there is there should be nothing that we don't find a way to get for them. So just two more things real quick before we open it up to other people. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to run this show. But um, I, I just I, I was so happy when you opened up the campus to the public. Mm -hmm. um, that was that was not a good situation. 
uh, when it was closed to the public. We, we could not even walk on, on campus uh, for a while. I've, most people don't know that, but, but it was true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for opening it back up. But also um, our school pool is down and yes. I'm, I'm sure it was with your support that, that we are still able to have a swim team. And again, it's a, a you know, collaboration with the wellness center in, in, in the area, but you know, you allowed it to happen. And thank you. No, that's, Donna, that's actually true. Um, I, I did not mention the pool. Um, so the pool has been, um, had some issues for quite some time. And we have a group coming in to do a um, inspection on our foundation and an inspection on the pool. And um, while that's happening, um, we did not want to um, pause or delay or cancel that opportunity for the students. So um, the Wellness Center um, has been very gracious. They allowed that partnership to happen. And that has been great that they have partnered with us so our students can continue to have that opportunity. So are there questions from anybody else? So Tim, um, go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Um, these new charter schools that they are developing, do uh, they take away funds from you all and, and the other public schools? Oh, Tim, that's a good question. Um, you know that in my last position, I was in the middle of those debates, and um, I might still be on a couple lawsuits, uh, technically by name. Um, so the charter schools do not take resources away from the School Production Blind. We'll kind of start there. We are funded. Um, we are not funded like public schools. Um, public schools are funded on a per pupil amount um, through the state aid funding formula. We are a line item um, by the legislative legislation. So our funds are separate from um, the typical public schools. Um, now, the controversy for the public schools is that it's not as easy as saying funds are taken away or not. Um, you know, because enrollment in public school is based on a headcount, the number of students attending, when a student leaves a public school to go to a charter school, technically, yes, those funds go with the child. So, for example, Eddie Campbell is the superintendent in Montegaria County, and, you know, Eddie Campbell's budget has been hit pretty hard because there is a charter school there, and he is not only battling any student who leaves Montegaria County to go to the charter school, He's also battling the virtual charter school. There are two in the state. So he has three opportunities for students to leave him and go to these other schools. And I will not, you know, I'm not going to talk about their their quality or anything, but um, that what happens, though, in a a county uh, like Montingalia is that when you have a budget for the county, those budgets and state aid actually also equate to positions. So people can say, well, yeah, you know, but you're still getting the amount of money for X number of kids, so you should be able to educate them. But when you build a budget as a public school, you have so many um, children equal so many counselors, so many children equal so many special education teachers. So all of a sudden you find yourself in a position to say, yeah, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred children might have left Montegaya County to go to these other options. And um, you should be able to educate your kids based on the per child amount we give you. 
So, but he is actually being hit not only budget, but financially, he's being hit on the personnel side. So in a classroom now in a school, he may have, you know, 10 fewer kids and he had to reduce a special education teacher. But you and I both know, I bet you a lot of those children that left were not special needs kids. So he's happened to educate the same number of special needs kids, probably with less teachers. Okay, Suzanne, go ahead, please. Uh, uh, this is a really interesting uh, talk, and I am a blind professor over in Virginia, and I know Marsha, who's in uh, Mountain State, and Marsha and I are both very, um, very, very avid horse women, and I have thought I'm in my 60s. I've been blind you know, all my life at, at one level or another, but horses have given me a tremendous amount in terms of confidence building, in terms of skills, in terms of mobility. And I'm wondering if there's any way to get the kids at the school for the deaf and blind into riding, in particular the blind. I don't know what, what it does or doesn't do for deaf folks, but I know for the blind people that I know, it's given us a ton of benefit, not just the fun that it is when you ride, but many, many other things that, that go on to other parts of life just oh. like sports, but there's something about a bond with a horse and being able to move quickly that is very different than anything that I've ever tried. Suzanne, that's, that's a great question because asking about the students for the deaf, um, actually many schools um, we've seen utilize um, horses different ways actually. And then of course we have therapy dogs, we have other animals, but horses in particular, um, we've actually seen an uptick across the nation and utilizing horses even for social and emotional supports uh, for students struggling. And you're right, that bond that they that they tend to build with an animal such as a horse increases that level of confidence for all children. But I'm glad you mentioned for the blind, um, because this is not, um, and I, I never, um, have never stated that I, I an expert in deafblind education. In fact, if you study my background, my background is actually early childhood education. Um, I spent most of my career um, before getting into leadership and in state government in, in preschool and kindergarten. And, um, but um, I really do rely on those around me that, that know the children, that know their field. And so um, our Dean of Students, her name is Melanie Hefty. Um, has had me reading a lot of the history of the school, just so I'm aware of, you know, you kind of learn from the past. And even though you don't want to replicate everything in the past, you got to look toward the future. And it's interesting, Suzanne, that it was not that long ago, and it's in one of our records, um, um, publication they did for the school, that um, we had students with a local group actually do riding and bonding with horses. And Melanie Hesse, probably within the last week, has brought that back to my attention. Um, she is local. She has grown up. She's worked for the school for almost 20 years. And that has been one of her um, ideas of next steps for um, connecting the community. So I would like to see that happen. Um, I am a child who grew up. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. Um, in uh, actually in West Virginia, a little town in Hancock County. And I grew up almost all my life on a farm and had horses. And as a child, I will also say it is a 
special feeling to not only ride, but to care for and be around um, horses. So, We're talking to the choir. Uh, Suzanne, <laughs> now, and I think Melanie, I think Melanie Hesse has some great ideas. She would like to reconnect that. Um, it does mean a lot for our students and you and I'm preaching the choir, but that confidence that when you see a child get on an animal such as a horse and then begin to feel comfortable and um, it, it's a special relationship. And so I'll have, just add, I'm writing a book on uh, blind equestrian, so I need to talk to Melanie, I think, she, uh, <laughs> and get her story. <laughs> she would love to see that come back to the school. And, um, and you know, when we, we have ideas such as that, again, that is one of the things that I've come to appreciate about this community. I have yet to find somebody in Romney or the Hampshire community or the region that has said no to me yet. Um, it's just a matter of reaching out. Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to be part of um, this experience for those children. So I, I tend to either not take no very well or tend to think there's always ways to make things work. Um, we, we have to kind of move along here because we, st we still have three hands raised. Let's take Carol and then we'll do the other two on, on the attendee side. Go ahead, Carol. Uh, my question is uh, about the uh, computer repair. Do you, um, how do you find, how do you get the computers? Do you take <laughs> donations? Um, do you also, uh, it's an, a two-part question. Do you also work on things other than PCs or laptops or whatever, uh, like the Braille uh, technology part of it? Carol, thank you. Um, I will go fast because Donna has a, an agenda, but so computer repair, um, we have a relationship with that company in Charleston, I said of second launch. So second launch, of course, is connected to the State Department of Education. Several years ago in my previous role, we connected the School for Deaf and Blind when they opened up and hired a gentleman by the name of Seth Rye to, um, we are, we are, to run um, the computer repair program. It is a state CTE program. And they actually send us computers out of second launch for us to repair, work on, so that when they're done, we ship them back. And that way they are going into that circulation for schools. Interesting you ask, we are actually getting ready in the Brandon building to open up a Braille repair shop. Um, we sent two staff members off to be trained on Braille repair. And um, there is nothing that young man Xander can't fix. And then Carol just, I'll throw it in there very quickly. This class is so interesting to watch that the students have figured out that they repair these computers, they can do other technology. So they brought one of their um, pieces from the dorms up to give this class a shot to fix. I'm gonna tell you, it is something simple. It is electronic. It is a toy that children love down in the dorms in the residence hall. And to watch the students in that class take it apart, figure out the circuitry, put it back together, and make this toy work. I thought I was watching an episode of, like, I don't know, something on like Restoration TV or something. It was amazing. Thank you. Mr. Burge, this is Glenn. Oh, no, Glenn. I'm sorry. I just hey, wanted to up, also buddy? tell you real quick that um, uh, Xander and Mr. Rye also fixed one of the old Juliet uh, Pro 60s uh, that had a blown fuse in it. It is 
uh, a 20 year old machine is back up and running and it is now my backup since the good embosser is down. They're amazing, so, Glenn. They, they are. are amazing. So, so let's go to uh, Brent and, and then Musi. And I have Brent is already unmuted. So go ahead. Brent. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Birch. This is great. I want to comment you for, compliment you first that you're fixing or maybe going to try to fix the pool. A lot of good memories with that pool. It's an awesome, awesome pool. Um, my question is this. You're doing a lot of great things with the school. I love the public outreach, the work experience, and all that. But I'm curious about the numbers uh, of students attending the schools right now and what's being done to try to increase those numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. The numbers are down. Um we are probably between 60 and 70 children right now. It's, it's just low. And it, we watched it, you know, diminishing during even the pandemic and before. So, and the other thing that's been hard is parents, and, and this is no judgment on parents whatsoever, Bryn, but school systems and parents, um, you know, there's a lot about parent choice, the charter schools, the Hope Scholarship, and People, I think, across the nation pushing this parent choice. And I, I absolutely will always support parent choice. I want to serve children where the parents, you know, they're their first and, and foremost teacher. But it's also a struggle because I have these outreach specialists that are across the state serving around 35 counties right now. Counties that either don't have DHH teachers, they don't have VI teachers, or the teachers there are struggling, they don't know how to serve the children. We have counties that do an excellent job serving children, but we have a lot of counties that struggle. And what we're doing is actually, instead of just the old fashioned, here we are, here's what we do. Um, we're gonna hit this two prong. One, I have a gentleman coming in, um, we are contracting with, he does, um, sounds funny, but he does commercial work. And he's actually coming to work with us to create some 45, 60 second commercials about all that the school has to offer. And um, that's one avenue to really get the message out there. The other avenue actually falls on the shoulders of these outreach specialists. These are the people working directly with families across the state, directly with schools across the state. And they are employees of the School for Deaf and Blind and our Technical Assistance Center and Outreach and I have met with them. We have redone their strategic plan. We've redone their mission. Their mission is to serve the families and teachers and children. However, the other part of their mission now is they are our boots on the ground. And part of their mission is to advocate about what resources are here. So when they meet these families, they meet these teachers, we're doing a better job communicating the opportunities that are here at the School for Deaf and Blind and why that may be a better choice. Okay, let's take Musi's question and then we're just okay. about out of time. <laughs> okay, and Musi okay. should be unmuted. Yes. Go ahead, I had a question, uh, lots of questions, but basically I, I'm from Weirton. I want to know the name of the little town you're from. <laughs> what was it? Musi, I'm right north of you. I'm from Chester. Actually, New okay. Manchester. Yeah. But if okay. I say New Manchester, nobody ever knows where little New Manchester is. Yeah, I know. I know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. Birch, wow. We, we thank you so much. I think we could spend all day with you, probably. Well, I appreciate it. And I, <laughs> any opportunity I get to, to brag on the school, and um, I am very open. Um, 
please, um, as you know, as, a, as an organization, um, I encourage you to reach out. Any ideas? Um, you know, I, I truly believe that the the more input we have, the better the school will be. So one question I wanted to ask, are, are they going to do a, a Braille challenge this year? Our Mountain State Council? Yes, are, we want to do a Braille challenge yeah, this year. We're a real um, supporter of that. So Yes. And um, so, Donna, you volunteer to lead that? Well, I would I'm help. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm but, playing. Um, no, it's a passion of mine. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I hope I can help work it. Yes, ma'am. I want, um, I absolutely, I've listened to the staff and, um, we, uh, those are those opportunities we need to bring back on campus. And, um, you know, I'll kind of finish with this. I have challenged our special education directors across the state. I have challenged our staff that um, the, the state of West Virginia is a wonderful place. I know it's great to have meetings in Charleston and Morgantown, but I want to see more meetings coming back over to Romney. The more people we bring over, those special education directors, those families, our short courses back, I want yeah. the people to be there at the campus because I think once they get there, they're going to be like me and hopefully not want to leave. Well, thank you so much for giving up your Saturday morning to spend with us. And you're welcome to stay on if you choose and, or join back anytime today if, if you want to. But um, we just thank you for sharing with us all the great things that are happening at the school. And we hope to maybe talk with you again in the future. Anytime. Thank you, Donna. Okay. Okay. Our next presenter um, is going to talk to us about uh, uh, another option for audio uh, prescription labeling. And his name is Andy Burstein. Burstein, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but um, Accessible Pharmacy Services for the Blind is a comprehensive home delivery pharmacy service um, specializing in the needs of the blind, deafblind, and low vision communities. They are, uh, they are the only provider um, of, of, its, of its kind and largest blind owned healthcare company in the United States. And we'll be joined by one of the co-founders of the company, Andy Burstein. All thank right. You. Hey, Carol, thank you so much for that introduction. And uh, thank you, Cecily, for hosting this. And, and thank you, Donna, for setting this all up. Um, and, and thank you for the woman or the person who uh, donated the gift card. I'm excited. Um, but thank you, everyone else. Most importantly, thank you, everyone else, for joining this morning. Um, as Carol mentioned, uh, my name is Andy Burstein. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Accessible Pharmacy Services for the Blind. Um, and and you know, we are a home delivery pharmacy service. We, um, I'll tell you a little bit about, about our background and about how we got started and some of the things that we do and, and what makes us unique and some of the things that we have in the pipeline. So um, I'm here, my, our headquarters is in suburban Philadelphia. I actually live in West Philadelphia on University of Pennsylvania's campus. Um, so the background of our company, it, 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 I love telling our story, but it's, it's, it's a cool story. Um, I started the business with my business partner, Alex. Um, the idea came about about five years ago. Uh, I, at the time, I was running a healthcare marketing firm, 
and we were developing strategies just around accessibility in general to help our clients. And our clients at the time were healthcare systems, physicians' offices, uh, veterinarians, dentists, the pharmaceutical industry. So we were working with them to empower them to be more accessible in general. So I decided to like reach out to like friends and family that um, you know had different disabilities just to try to you know get a better understanding about their experience in, in healthcare. Um, and so there was a guy I knew from Little League. Okay, um, our kids played ball together. Um, I knew Al- his name's Alex. I knew Alex not too well, but our kids were friends. They were on the same team together. Um, he was a nice guy. He lived near me, and Alex is blind. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to reach out to that guy from Little League, see if he wants to meet up, and I'll, I'll pick his brain a little bit. So I get Alex's email address. I shoot him an email. I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Our kids were on the Lions together. Um, are you free to meet up for a cup of coffee or a beer? I'd, I'd love to you know, just share some ideas with you and pick your brain. So we decided to meet up for coffee, and I got to learn a little bit more about Alex's story. Um, he, uh, Alex was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa in his teens. Um, by the time he graduated college, he went to college at UNLV in Las, Ve- in Las Vegas. His goal was to be in the hospitality industry. Uh, but by the time he graduated college, his eyesight was deteriorating pretty rapidly. And by the time he was 25, he had lost almost all of his usable eyesight and realized there weren't too many opportunities for blind hotel managers or resort managers. So he moved back to Philadelphia um, and he ultimately earned a PhD in marketing from Drexel University. And he wrote his doctoral dissertation on the accessibility of the American retail marketplace for blind consumers. So here I am thinking like, ah, I'll reach out to the guy, Alex, you know, I'll brainstorm a little bit with him. We'll have coffee. We'll talk about our kids and I'll move on. You know, little did I know that Alex is arguably the foremost expert in retail accessibility for the blind community in, in the world. Um, not only as a consumer himself, but he had, you know, seven years of academic research um, evaluating how blind consumers interact in the retail marketplace. And so this one-time cup of coffee became, you know, pretty weekly. Uh, Our kids were a few blocks, went to schools a few blocks away from each other. So we would drop our kids off at school and we'd meet at the same cafe for coffee. And when we dug into the healthcare industry, he really helped me understand a lot of the challenges that exist, um, you know, broadly, you know, in hospitals and physicians' offices and pharmacies and so on and so forth. So he and I decided to write a business plan. You know, what would it be like if we created a healthcare company from the ground up um, that focused on accessibility? And every time we, we added another component or another thought to the business model, we would build it with the lens of making sure that it's accessible, okay, loosely, um, which is different than other healthcare companies that exist, which are retrofitting their healthcare systems. And a lot of healthcare companies and pharmacies and groups are doing some great things. But quite often, it's not necessarily their business model, their business model being that one size fits all business model. Um, and when an individual does have you know, unique needs, they're not always equipped from A to Z on how to support that patient and empower that patient to live independently and live a healthier life and take control of their healthcare. So Alex and I wrote a business plan and we decided to focus on the pharmacy industry as the first healthcare component of our company. We wrote this awesome business plan. Um, This was like in 2019. And, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, 
we were really lucky. We were able to reach out to a lot of different groups to let them know what we were doing and get their feedback. Uh, we had some really close friends in the Pennsylvania ACB um, who gave us some feedback. We drove down to Baltimore and spent a day at the NFB headquarters and got some great feedback from them. Uh, Kirk Adams from the AFB was incredibly generous with us and letting us know like what else exists in the marketplace and helping make introductions for us. And everyone was very generous and uh, enthusiastic about the fact that there was no one doing what we were proposing. So we decided to take it to market. We, put a, we pulled in a third business partner who's a pharmacist, um, Dr. Jason Barrett. He has his doctorate in pharmacy. And he spent the first 25 years of his career focusing on patients with intellectual disabilities and cognitive disabilities. So for him, it was like, all right, his model was personalized medication, okay? As opposed to that one-size-fits-all model, understanding the patient, understanding that patient's specific needs and building a collection of solutions around that person to empower that person to manage their medication and manage their diabetes. And so we decided to launch our business in April, 2020, like uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Now at the time, you know, obviously none of us know what, knew what was gonna happen, but we all knew what happened, but nevertheless, we, we plowed forward. And fast forward to today, uh, we now have 65 employees, 25% of our staff uh, is blind themselves. Um, we're growing. We're currently licensed to provide services in 34 states, uh, including DC and Puerto Rico, and most importantly, including West Virginia. Um, and we're growing. We're, we're adding new states slowly. The states that we're currently working in, we're, we're, we're figuring out ways to work more collectively and collaboratively with groups in the state, government agencies, healthcare providers, um, our patients, uh, our growth right now is really coming from our patients who are telling other friends about it. But more importantly, they're giving us feedback. It's amazing when you when you ask patients sincerely, like, let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, how we could be more accessible, what other kinds of services we could be providing. Um, people talk our ears off in, in a good way. And it's taking all the guesswork out of how we could be more accessible, what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, how we could be adding more services and solutions. Um, and it's this environment that we created with our patients is actually fueling the growth of our company, but also helping us to, you know, provide a better solutions for everyone. You know, once we deal with a patient who's struggling with, with some element of their medication management or diabetes management, and we work with them to figure out a solution, we're then able to take that solution and plug it into other patients. And so this ecosystem of, of healthcare, it, it's, it's collaborative with our patients, with the healthcare providers, with groups and organizations, and, and it's awesome. All right, so what do we, what do, we do exactly? Um, we provide prescription medication, over-the-counter medication, vitamins, nutritional supplements, a full range of diabetic supplies like glucometers and insulin and syringes, every, everything in the diabetes space. Uh, guide dog and pet medication, and small accessible medical devices. What makes us unique is how we bring these solutions, these, these offerings to the market. Everything that we do that makes us accessible, there is no charge for it. We make our money by being reimbursed by insurance companies. Uh, quite often in many states, we get money from the Department of Aging, the Department of Health, um, and things that aren't covered by insurance and not by the state, you know, we take you know, credit cards, like for co-pays. Um, 
But everything else that we do to support our patients, to empower our patients, there's no charge for it. That includes home delivery of medication and all the products I mentioned, uh, accessible packaging, and I'll explain that in a second, accessible labeling, accessible support, and accessible education. And we do whatever it takes with, through a collection of working with the patient, a little bit of trial and error to figure out how we can empower someone to live independently and take control of their healthcare. And so I'll explain how we do that. We, we focus on three pillars of our company. Uh, the first pillar is accessible support. Unlike the traditional model where you go to your doctor's office and the doctor writes a prescription and they either call it into the, the pharmacy or they give you a prescription, and then you go to the pharmacy and you walk out with your meds. Uh, ours is a little bit different. We have to understand the patient. It's personalized medication. It starts with a call to us. All a patient has to do is give us a call. You can call us with your doctor or call us separately. It doesn't make a difference. But we need to learn, like, who are you? What's your level of eyesight? What other, co what other healthcare issues do you have? Um, what's your comfort level with technology? Do you read Braille? Um, do you have, a, 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 like, a, what kind of challenges do you have with your medication? What are you doing that's working for you? Um, who else is in the household with you? Who else is involved with your medication decisions? Are you a caregiver to someone else in the home or is someone else a caregiver to you? Who are your prescribers? What are the meds that you're taking? Who is your insurance company? So we capture all that information. We work with most insurance companies, including Medicare and Medicaid. We capture all that information and it takes us about a day we go to work. We contact the insurance company to confirm eligibility. We may reach out to some of your prescribers just to get some feedback from them. We have our pharmacists review everything. You know, because quite often we find someone's getting prescriptions written by a multitude of doctors. They're cardiologist and they're ophthalmologist and they're endocrinologist and they're general practitioner. And then they're also taking a multivitamin and they're taking fish oil and they're taking pomegranate root extract. You know, and before you know it, a combination of all these meds together, about 50% of the time, can cause side effects that the patient may not be aware of. And so we'll review all that information, we'll call the patient back. We'll review everything, we'll make some suggestions. If the patient wants to move forward with us, we'll contact the existing pharmacy and we'll transfer all the records over. So the patient doesn't have to do anything. The patient just has to let them, us know where they stand and what their challenges are and what's going on in their world. So that usually happens on a telephone call. It can also happen, we have a lot of deaf-blind patients and deaf patients. So it can happen via text, via email. For our deaf patients, we're very comfortable using VRS, which is essentially on-demand sign language interpreters. Um, we're also the pharmacy partner of Be My Eyes. So someone can contact us through uh, the specialized help section of Be My Eyes, and we can have that same exact conversation. Uh, and obviously we're comfortable on Zoom, uh, and a lot of interactive platforms as well. So that's our first pillar, accessible support. Our second pillar is accessible packaging. We offer a full range of different kinds of accessible packaging that can help someone manage and organize their medication. It's free. So for example, we have pre-sorted disposable pill organizers. So rather than you getting all your pills and bottles and packages and then sorting them in those pill organizers, we'll send them to you pre-sorted and pre-organized. And we have different size and shape organizers depending on the amount of times during the day you take your meds and the quantity of medication that you take. We have individual daily packets, which are basically two inch by two inch plastic baggies. Each baggie has all your meds and vitamins and nutrition 
all uh, sorted already in it. And it comes in a long perforated strip in a disposable dispenser box. It's the exact, we have the exact same machine that Amazon has for pill pack. We have different size and shape bottles, uh, ranging from like, you know, small, like one ounce bottles with childproof lids, but we also have 12 ounce bottles with pop-off lids for someone that may have uh, arthritis or Parkinson's or just have, have a difficult time gripping a bottle. Um, we're actually working on a project now with Temple University's uh, Disability Studies Program to build out packaging for individuals in the paralysis community. Um, it's pretty cool. So it's, it's coming soon. We're hoping to launch that at the beginning of, uh, the beginning of 2023. Um, finally, with packaging, we have infant medication, over-the-counter infant medication in single liquid doses. They're individual plastic tubes. And these are for uh, parents who are blind so that they can safely administer medication to, to, to young children without having to deal with the challenges of pouring and measuring and administering the meds. So, and it's a work in progress. We're constantly looking for new kinds of packaging. So there's some other things in the pipeline as well. That, that's our second pillar. Our third pillar is accessible labeling. On all the packaging that, that I just mentioned to you, we have a whole collection of, of different labels and combinational labels that we can apply to these packages. So these include traditional text labels. Uh, we can do, currently our system allows us to do both English and Spanish. We're in the process of upgrading our system. We're gonna add another 20 languages to that model as well. We have large font labels. So for those who have low vision who would benefit from an oversized font label, we have white labels with black fonts and black labels with white fonts. And you can choose to have your medication with those labels. We can add braille to uh, any of our packaging. So we have a, a grade one braille embosser and we also have a contracted braille embosser. We have uh, what Carol mentioned, uh, we have a collection of audio labels. So there are a few that we have. We, have, uh, we work very closely with Envision America. Uh, they make a product called Script Talk. Uh, Script Talk, for those of you who don't know, it's, a, uh, it's essentially it's a sticker with a microchip embedded in it. And what we're able to do is upload all the medication information to this microchip sticker, put that sticker on a package, and then you, the patient, either you're using a free app that you can download on your phone, or uh, a device that we can send you. That's a, it's a free device. It's about the size of a clock radio. You simply scan the package and it reads all the medication information out loud. The second audio label we have is a, a product by a company called Way Around. They make a sticker. It's a similar sticker model to uh, um, Script Talk, but they target, uh, it's more for home use. So they sell labels that you can label your food. You can do it at home. It's, it's an awesome product. It's actually, it was started by a woman and her father. Um, her father's blind and they came up with this idea together. So they have stickers that you can put on your food. They have washable stickers that you can put on clothing and using a free app, you just scan it and it reads the information out loud. We're now able to apply those stickers to any of our products as well. And finally, we're developing with uh, Helen Keller National Center, um, our own labeling uh, system um, it's, it's a, for, for the deafblind community. It's a tactile label system uh, that can be easily found on a product. Um, and when scanned with an app that we created, it can do a few things. Um, it can read the information out loud. So if the person still has hearing, they'll hear the information. It can appear in a large font on their phone screen in the event they still have sight. And it can extend through Bluetooth to a braille display. 
um, if the person relies on that way to get the information about the medication. So we're going to be holding some focus groups with at Helen Keller National Center later this this fall. And uh, once we get the kinks worked out, uh, we're hoping to release that at the beginning of the year. Um, and finally, we're actually working on a project with Jefferson University to develop labels for people in the, in the neurodiversity community um, to make, you know, much simpler, uh, easy to understand labels for those who would benefit from a label like that. So those are our, our three pillars, accessible support, accessible packaging, accessible labeling. Uh, a few other things of interest. Um, we, you know, accessible pharmacy was our first, you know, uh, model. Um, we're going to be launching later this year, uh, accessible telehealth, um, which is the same type of concept. You know, how do we identify providers who have experience working with people with a range of disabilities? And how do we connect them to uh, individuals in the blind community who would benefit from their services and connect them in a really welcoming, accessible way um, to help them with their healthcare? The first uh, therapeutic category we're going to focus on is diabetes. You know, to be able to provide diabetes education, diabetes support, training, nutritional information, exercise information, and to do it through a platform that's really welcoming and accessible. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. A few other things about us. Um, there are a few things that we're really proud of. Uh, the New York Times wrote a feature article about us last year. So, uh, which is really cool. Like, as, as I mentioned, we love telling our story, but hearing a journalist from the New York Times tell our story back to us was, was incredibly thrilling. Um, the, uh, we won the federal government award in 2021 for advancement in accessibility through the FCC. It was us and Apple Computer, uh, which was incredibly like, you know, unbelievable. It also gave us an opportunity to meet the accessibility team from Apple. And uh, we're actually like trying to, you know, figure out ways how we can collaborate more closely with them. Um, we won the Helen Keller Award for our work, uh, the Accessibility Award for our work, uh, like two months ago, for our work in the deafblind community. Uh, we won the, you know, there's a few other awards that we won. We won the Disability Mentoring Award, the Visions uh, Center for, for Blind uh, and, and Vision uh, Services in New York City. We won their Community Partner Award. So not that we need awards, but, you know, it's sort of, you know, for us, it makes us feel good. It validates what we're doing. It's, it's, it's awesome to be acknowledged. I just want to share that with everyone. Um, a few other things. We do run a collection of educational programs. They're free. Um, they are, the ones that we've run over the last year are archived on our website. Our website is accessiblepharmacy.com. Uh, AccessiblePharmacy.com. It's a it's a screen reader friendly website. It also has large fonts. But if you go to uh, there's a tab where you can identify events. Uh, we just ran an event uh, two weeks ago with um, University of Pennsylvania's Diabetes Education Center. Uh, that was it was a webinar that focused on uh, continuous glucose monitoring systems and compared the Dexcom and the Freestyle Libre. So that recording is on there. We ran a program two months ago with the Chicago Lighthouse. Uh, that focused on eye drop administration. You know, what are the different strategies and techniques for administering and using eye drops? Uh, we ran a program earlier in the year focusing on breast cancer information for blind women. Uh, my wife is a breast cancer survivor, and you know, going through the experience, uh, it was incredibly inaccessible. And so we created a collection of tools and materials for women who are blind to to learn more about surgery and treatment and recovery and prevention. Um, we have uh, on the website, and we're actually going to be circulating around this week via email, um, 
an, a, an oral explanation for a, a woman to do, you know, a self-exam. And it's actually the woman who um, read my wife's mammogram and, and thank God saved her life uh, actually did it. So um, it's very powerful and, and cool. So um, we can encourage people to check that out. We have a whole bunch of other diabetes programs on their uh, webinars. Uh, we ran some educational programs on there with uh, Be My Eyes and the Perkins School about for students who maybe, you know, 18 year olds who are leaving the home for the first time, whether to be moving into an apartment or going to school into a dormitory, like how do you manage your healthcare for the first time in your life when your parents have been doing it for you the whole time? So these are all free. They're on our website. I encourage you to check them out. Finally, on December 2nd, we are hosting the first ever Blind Health Expo. Um, it's a virtual event. Um, if you go to our website, accessiblepharmacy.com, there's a tab that says Expo. It's free to attend. It's free to exhibit. Um, and the idea came about because we interact with so many different groups that serve this population, the blind community, um, nonprofit organizations, government agencies, pharmaceutical companies, uh, medical device companies, you know, community activists, you know, A, A to Z. But we find like these groups don't always talk to each other. And so we were like, the concept was like, hey, why don't we throw a party? You know, let's bring everyone together. And, you know, we pushed an email out to like gauge people's interest. Um, we currently have 75 exhibitors. Uh, we have a few thousand registered attendees, and we still have two months to go for the event. So we encourage people to check it out. Some of the exhibitors uh, include, um, you know, the ACB, uh, the NFB, the FFB, um, the Helen Keller National Center, the Usher Coalition, the American Diabetes Association, the Glaucoma Foundation. So a lot of big national organizations. Um, we also have a, a collection of state uh, government agencies, Department of Aging, OVR offices, lending you know, assistive technology organizations. Um, we have technology companies like Orcam will be there. Um, you know, Blindshell will be there, a lot of telephone and communication companies. And then there's also small groups. So for example, we have an aromatherapist woman uh, from Northern California who was blind. We have a group out of Pittsburgh uh, who does uh, yoga programs and yoga certification for blind yoga instructors. Um, we have an ocularist from Montreal. I, I, I just, we just learned this ourselves. Like I just learned this myself. An ocularist is someone who makes prosthetic eyes. So, uh, so the point I'm getting at is uh, it's a really broad range of groups and organizations. And so I encourage everyone to check it out and share it. Um, we, we'll all learn from, from being there. And our goal is to like build it uh, into something even bigger as we grow. There's probably also going to be a, a, a for the, anyone on the call here who's a, a healthcare professional, um, we are most likely going to be having a, 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 like a one-hour speaker component of the expo as well, uh, where we'll have Novo Nordisk speaking. Novo Nordisk is the, the largest manufacturer of insulin and CMS, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, we'll be speaking about some of the accessibility programs that, that they're developing, as well as uh, how they're uh, supporting people with disabilities during open enrollment. Uh, for that component, they will be most likely have uh, CE credits as well. So I'm trying to be sensitive to the time. I think I should wrap things up now and open the floor to questions. Uh, thank you again, Carol, Donna, and Cecily for including me. Uh, once again, our website's accessiblepharmacy.com. Um, uh, our telephone number is 888, toll-free number, 
7007. That's 888 633 7007. The vanity number for that is 888 MEDS, M E D S, 007, like James Bond. You can also just, if you have, a, <laughs> if you have an iPhone, just be like, Siri, call Accessible Pharmacy. And Siri may say, Do you mean Accessible Pharmacy in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania? That's us. So please check us out. Like I said, if you become our patient, there's no strings attached. If you decide a few months down the road, hey, you like your CVS better, just call us and we'll, we'll transfer everything back for you. All that we ask in return is that you tell us why. But um, try us out. Um, if anyone if anyone has a specific medical question and you're uncomfortable sharing it here in this public venue, my personal email address is andy, A-N-D-Y, at accessiblepharmacy.com. Shoot me an email. If Obviously, it's a healthcare question. I'll pass it on to our healthcare team. But if you have any other questions, suggestions, or ideas, uh, I'd love to hear from you. So I'm really going to stop talking now. Thank you again. Um, thank you. So ironically, uh, you mentioned Way Around and their presenter this afternoon. Oh. And then you also mentioned about the ocularist. We have a recording from an ocularist. Oh, no. Oh, uh, right on. on. On our agenda this afternoon. Yes. Oh, that, 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 that's, oh, I'm not going to be able to hang around, but I, I want to listen to that uh, on the recording. And we're huge fans of Way Around. I don't know if Jessica is the one presented, but she's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's Michael. But, oh, it's Michael. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, cool. So do we have any questions? We do have Agnes. And Agnes, you should be able to talk, hon. Okay. Can you all hear me? We hey, can. Agnes. Yes, Great. ma'am. Okay. I have two quick questions. First of all, do you serve Colorado? And secondly, uh, you were talking about the pre-sorted packets for organizing medicine and my pharmacy, which is Good Day Pharmacy, has those and showed them to me. But one concern I have is, let's say you fix up those packets for somebody and they go to their doctor and their doctor changes a dose of their medication, say they raise it. So then what happens? Oh, good question. So I'll answer both of them. One, yes, we are licensed in Colorado. Um, two, uh, and changing a medication that happens often, there's a lot of ways to adjust that. Uh, obviously, the doctor would notify us immediately. Um, a lot of it's predicated on your insurance company. So if your insurance company allows us to replace the entire kit, we can do that. If not, what we're able to do with you is we would send you that medication. And obviously the next time you would be due, we provide instant refills. So the next time you're due for a batch of meds, it would become, it would get to you sorted with the new meds. Right. But if you still have an existing pre-pack uh, with a pill in there, that is a pill that's not a good fit for you. Um, that's another way where Be My Eyes comes into play. We can actually, uh, you know, engage with you through Be My Eyes, go through all your medication, help you identify the pill that you should not be using. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, if it's, if it's easy to identify it, you would just know throughout the rest of the batch. But you can call us every day that month, or we can help you resort everything um, into a traditional uh, uh pill organizer. So there's lots of ways to do it. There's nothing perfect, but we'll work with you to figure out the best solution so that you because feel safe and comfortable doing it. Not everybody has be my eyes, you know, some people mm -hmm. like myself, I don't even know an iPhone, but okay. you know, so I would maybe have to bring somebody in to do it, but what I would, so for me right now, since I don't always have somebody to come in to, you know, to do this, 
Um, I might have to, if I got the pre-sorted packets here in, at my pharmacy, um, then, you know, I'd have to go back down there and they would probably help me, but, oh, I'm sure they would, you know, yeah. but that, that was but, a concern of mine. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a real concern too. I get it. But we, we just, you know, we deal with it all the time. Right. Um, sometimes it's really easy to fix. Sometimes it's hard to fix, but we always fix it. And I'm glad to see you've got bottles with different kinds of lids because I, I tell my pharmacy to give me the kind you mentioned that are just pop off, mm -hmm. you know, because I cannot, uh, you know, they say those, those lids and those other bottles are childproof. They ought to put adult proof because oh, even I know adults that don't even have arthritic conditions and they cannot open those bottles. Uh, you, you and me both. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Next we have Jamaica Miller and Jamaica, you should be unmuted, honey. Go ahead. I wanted to ask um, about the 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 big event that you're having. Yes. Um, is there is it going to be on Zoom or is it going to be on a different, uh, totally different platform? Oh, sure. From... So basically, everyone will come to the event virtually. There'll be a page on our website with all of the exhibitors listed. Uh, they'll be listed by alphabetically and by category. When you click on uh, an exhibitor. It'll take you to a page that has all of their information, information about the organization or company, links to all their websites, social media, accessible downloadable documents. And the exhibitor themselves will have an opportunity to include a Zoom link of their own on there. Okay. Um, and we will you know, make sure that they know uh, how to make sure that all the features and components of that Zoom link are accessible. It's up to the exhibitor themselves if they wanna be quote unquote like open the entire time or if they want to have scheduled presentations during the time of the expo. But to answer your question specifically, the coming to the expo will be through a traditional website, but interacting with the, the individual exhibitors will be through Zoom. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Suzanne, please go ahead. I believe you're unmuted. Yes, thank you. Um, this Suzanne. is a great, great presentation. I really like your story too. Really interesting. Thank and, you. Uh, like it was meant to be. <laughs> so um, my question is, what one, is Virginia on your list? Yes. And is New York on your list? Yes. I'm passing this on to people as tonight. And oh, not, right on. Thank you. So, yeah, uh, people I think would be really benefited by it. Um, the other question I had had to do with the other states that are not presently on your list. Okay. And are you working to make sure that they get on your list? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Like I, I learned this when I got into the industry, every, in order to be able to deliver controlled substances from Pennsylvania into another state, that state needs to approve us through the state licensing board, a pharmacy licensing board. Some of them are, they're all separate. Some of them were really easy. It was a $25 application fee, one page application. They approved us in a day. There were others between a combination of the pandemic where they're not letting new providers in there or they were closed. The office was closed for a year and a half, um, has created some challenges. Some states, uh, like I'll give you an example. California is a really important state for us and we're not licensed in California yet. It was a, it was a very expensive uh, application fee and application. Um, they cashed our check, by the way. Um, we had to provide them fingerprints of all of our staff. We had to provide them notarized blueprints of our building. Um, and we're still not approved. And one of the reasons why is they there's two, actually. They have an opioid crisis in their state. 
and they want to make sure that we're not a bunch of rogue pharmacists just shipping opioids out of our basement. Uh, and the second thing is the, the state Medicare is incredibly favorable to residents who live there. And they're concerned about people. There's a bunch of issues around Medicare, about people basically getting residency in California so they can get the Medicare and then moving to other states. And they're trying to clamp down on that. And while they're clamping down on that, they're reluctant to bring in out-of-state providers. Uh-huh. So that's the A to Z. Oh, in Texas, we have to actually have one of our pharmacists licensed in the state. So there's this poor guy, Eric, who passed his licensing board exam 20 years ago. We three threw him in the deep end. He's now <laughs> studying to uh, uh, take the Texas exam. So there's a multitude of variables. We'll get there eventually. All right. Do we have any other questions? I don't believe we have any raised hands at the moment. All right. Well, that being said, once again, thank you so much, everyone. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of, of the day. Uh, once again, uh, uh, my email is andy at accessiblepharmacy.com. Um, please reach out to us. We'd love to work with you. We'd love to, you know, we'd love to work with you, you know, as a patient, but also like we want, we want to learn from you as well. So, could you uh, could you give your phone number again for people? Sure. It's it's eight 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 six three three seven zero. Zero seven. That's eight 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 six three three seven zero zero seven. The vanity number is eight 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 meds double o seven. I like that. All right. Well, very good. Thank you very much, Andy, for uh, sharing with us, and also thank you for you know, all you're doing to provide accessibility for people. Oh, thank wow. you so much. All right. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the conference and the rest of the weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to meet in person soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take Uh, care. uh, I believe our next presenter is here and sounds like he's ready to go. So, Carol, if you would introduce our next presenter, that'd be great. Okay. Um, Kevin Kevin Maness graduated from the West Virginia School for the Blind in 1989 and then earned his bachelor's of science degree in criminal justice and sociology from Fairmont State College. He earned his master's of education degree in special education to teach the blind and visually impaired from the, from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Kevin is well known for his advocacy efforts in the area of blindness and other disability civil rights issues. He has advocated and worked with West Virginia State and national legislators on blind, on braille liter, pardon me, braille literacy, bioptic driving, and many other legislative issues, which the blind and disabled communities face on a daily basis. Kevin has served as the vice president and president of Mountain State Council of the Blind. He currently is employed as program specialist, blind and visually impaired rehabilitation programs for the state of West Virginia. So, 
here comes Kevin. So actually, Kevin, before you start, I just want to say, because um, I think while you're presenting, there's going to be magic on webinar here and they're going to switch hosts. But I want to thank Andrea for You're welcome. And Tori is here. So yeah. I will just drop off and I will see you again later for the business meeting. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes, thank I'll be you back. Very much. Thank uh, you. Th these are volunteer ACB volunteers, the hosts and streamers. And uh, so we have to keep remembering to thank them. And thank you. I, I, I do want to tell everyone before Kevin starts, Kevin was in the one of the classes my first year of teaching um we won't say how long ago that was but he was in seventh grade and what a challenging class it was that's that's about all i'm gonna say so go ahead kevin my third year at the school for the blind and donna's very first year teaching and it was a fun uh year um <laughs> so um i want to thank everyone for having me and i'm Normally when I do my uh, rehab reports for West Virginia, I throw out a bunch of numbers and half the time, nobody knows what I'm talking about. And to be honest, half the time, I don't either. So today I just want to focus on uh, pre-employment transition services and some of the, the things that we have been doing here in West Virginia. Um, first of all, uh, rehab across the country has always been, or at least um, for quite a few decades, has always been allowed to work with students 14 years old and, and above. However, before 2014, um, since most of the time, there really wasn't anything really kind of kind of laid out. So for people to do uh, counselors to work with the, the students, uh, you would just pretty much just take an application on somebody and then they would just sit idle. Uh, and often the cases would end up getting closed or, or, or um, uh, and then they would take that application again on, on that individual when they became a, a senior in high school. Uh, but in 2014, there was a, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, or WIOA, as uh, people in rehab know, uh, calls it, mandated that students 14 years old and above, there has to be pre-employment transition services. And there's five areas, and, and, um, and some of those is like self-advocacy, social skills, independent living, job readiness skills, uh, and then just there's a couple others and I can't think off the top of my head. Um, and so West, West Virginia started working with and getting together with community rehab programs, uh, other entities to develop programs to provide these services. Um, we was able to get in touch with, uh, for blind services, uh, uh, Becky Copley. Uh, she works for the West Virginia Eye Institute, and she does a uh, what they call the Children's Vision Rehabilitation Project. Um, and it's where she goes into the schools and, and the different counties and works with young with children and gets their uh, like visual exams and 
recommends visual aids and adaptive equipment and things like that. So she started partnering partnering with us. I think kind of think the first time they did that may have been in either 2017 or 2018. She did an assistive technology um, uh, camp. Uh, it was like a three or four day camp. And um, I don't know much about that one, but uh, I'll, but I'll, I'll just kind of continue on here. Uh, in 2019, uh, that's when she really started kind of hitting it hard and heavy with us. And uh, so I just want to talk a little bit about these camps. Uh, one, one of the camps that she's just most recently uh, did started October of last year. Uh, and ended in May of 2000, uh, this past May. And she called that uh, physical literacy. And that focused on exercise, uh, mental health, um, self-advocacy, menu planning. And it was, uh, most of it was virtual. There was some group uh, settings. There was 100, I think 108 students. Um, there were a few, because it did also have some of the students from the schools for the deaf and blind involved, and some of the staff asked if some of the deaf students could get involved. And um, of course, you know, we were we were definitely wanted that to happen as well. So there was like eight deaf students as well that got involved in that. And that camp just uh, they worked on a different like menu planning, exercising, different ways to exercise um, without necessarily needing a, like a weights or uh, just doing calisthenics or different things in your home, uh, nutrition. Um, I think all the participants got a, um, a device that tracked how many steps that each of the students had. Um, and, and Becky, came up with this this camp a lot of it was due to covid and um you know everybody was just shut off and uh there was little to no um opportunity for people to get out and interact uh people was gaining weight and kind of just a lot of problems so she she came up with this pro this camp and the students really enjoyed it um got a lot of benefit out of it and i don't know i think becky wants to do another camp similar to it but i think she wants to do it maybe in in smaller chunks instead of doing a an eighth doing it eight months uh maybe do three or four at a time and and, and try to do something like that uh, another camp that she has done with us for at least four years is the orientation and mobility and the first year that she uh, worked with us, she took 18, about 18 students to New York City back in 2019. And um, the students had to do like a sort of like a scavenger hunt. And um, they had to go to so many different places, uh, obtain different items. And they also had to use 
uh, three or four different types of transportation or, uh, and that could be anywhere from uh, walking, subways, uh, Uber, taxis, public, other public transportation. Uh, they had to uh, map it out. They had to use uh, also like uh, navigating devices. And um, they, they, they all, and while they were there, they also, I think, went to some type of Broadway play. Um, so there, there's a lot of, there's some, you know, uh, recreational activities involved in this too. But the students really, really enjoyed that. Of course, they were also slated to go to New York in 2020. And that had to actually get canceled and be postponed. But they did end up going to Virginia Beach. Um, uh, in June of 2020, uh, I think, again, I think she took 15 to 18 different students uh, there. And they also do have TVIs and orientation and mobility specialists that go um, to make sure that they have adequate uh, support and um, resources and safety and everything. Um, and again, they're, they're sort of the same activities and stuff, the scavenger hunt and, and all that. Uh, last year, 2021, they went to Nashville. And then this year they went to um, Louisville, Kentucky. So don't know exactly uh, when or what, what they're going to do this year, uh, but I'm sure I'll be getting some proposals here in the next couple of months. Uh, Becky also does a camp every year uh, she owns a, a couple of cabins in Fitville, um, the New River Gorge area. And um, this year she had one, it was called uh, Blind Life Skills 101. Uh, the kids come down uh, and they do socialization, um, independent living, meal prep, some cook, a little bit of cooking, some swimming, whitewater rafting, zip lining. Uh, just do a lot of just uh, self-advocacy, just also um, confidence building and just social interaction because these, you know, these kids, a lot of them um, are in public school. They're the only blind student in their entire school. And um, so uh, that's, and, and like I said, Becky also has done a, an assist, a, she's done an, another assistive technology camp as well, um, and it was iPads, iPhones, Jaws, Zoom Tech, some note takers, um, and they usually get together. This is over like a three month period. They usually get the kids together twice um, in person, and then the other. The other couple of times they meet, they do it. They've been doing it virtually. And uh, I think one year we actually was able to get them. We helped them get either an iPad or a note taker, depending on what what they wanted. And, and, and so we have quite a few. Um, we've also worked, we're also, that's all with Becky. And we're also working with the Seeing Hand Association out of Willing. They also did a camp a, a couple of years ago. It was a one-day virtual camp. 
and they're actually getting ready to do another one on, I think it was October 12th or 13th. Uh, it's Blast Off to Your Future. 